this past week, uh, my family and I uh, got to go away. We weren't here last weekend because we were on vacation. And so uh, each year we've been doing it uh, around fall break for the last few years. And so Dawson, the fall break was last week. And so we've done that for several years around the exact same time. And every year when we go away, uh, we get a week away together. And it's a wonderful time just to be with my family and be together. But what it often does, and it does it uh, just probably the last five or six years, every time, I end up being very reflective, especially towards the end of the week. Because it's this reminder, kind of the season uh, in the year, and we kind of do it at the same time each year. And another year has gone by, and I, and I look at my kids, and here they are, they're getting older. And, and you see it, and it starts to make me reflective in the sense of uh, what I want to do better, and where I want to grow, and the year ahead and thinking about that. I know we do that a lot of times at the beginning of the year as the calendar turns over, but for whatever reason, because of vacation and getting away and being out of the normal uh, rhythms of life, that always happens. And again, this year I was thinking that way at the end of the, at the, end of the week and what I want to see and, and what I'd like to see for me personally, for us as a church, continuing to grow. Uh, one of those things when we start to talk that way, often within the church we think about this idea of, of God's will. And what is God's will for my life? And what does that look like? And how do I continue to follow him and what he would have for me in seeing that? And so if you've grown up around the church, sometimes we talk that way. And we talk about God's will and discerning it. And what does God have for me? And where would he use me? And what does that look like? And I think um, some of you may laugh at me age-wise, but as you get older, you start to think about it more. Or I do, or I have been recently. And suddenly you start to think the years seem to go, be going by faster. Uh, it reminds me of in the book of James when James says that our life is just but a mist. And I've always had this thing in my life since I can remember of I don't have enough time. I've always kind of operated that way. Like there's not enough time and I've got to get things done and I want to do it. And it seems to be speeding up as I get older. And so when I get reflective and I start to think about it and it starts to speed up, and I go, I don't want to be wasting my time on things that aren't important. And so as I was thinking about all that, and maybe it's just traveling this week, I think about different times when I'm traveling and I want to get things done, even in our travels. You're in a new place and you're seeing all these wonderful things and you want to use the time the best you can. And so when I'm wasting time, it's just so frustrating. I, I can remember, and, and maybe you can relate to this, uh, my parents moved to Alpharetta when I was in college. And so I used to drive back and forth from A&M in Texas to Alpharetta. And I've made that drive probably 30 times. And I remember one time driving back uh, from Texas to Alpharetta, and I veered off where the highway splits. You ever get where you're driving, you're just kind of zoning out? You're paying attention, but you're thinking about a lot of other things, and all of a sudden you veer off and you're driving along. And it was about an hour and 20 minutes later I realized I'd been driving in the wrong direction. Oh, that is so miserable. That is the worst feeling. You're just like, ah, I can't believe this. And so suddenly I realized I've been driving the wrong direction, so I have to get off. And you have to turn around and you go back and the whole time I'm like, I just, I wasted an hour and 15 minutes, two and a half hours, that's two and a half hours, I could have been further down the road and I just went backwards and it was so frustrating. And just kind of my personality and the way I am, it just, it like ruined my day. I mean, I still vividly remember that. It was probably 20 years ago. It's not even that big of a deal. But that kind of thing of like wasting time. No one wants to be aimlessly zipping down the road in the wrong direction. Not getting closer to what the goal is. And I, and I say that because I want us to think about that together in our life and what that looks like. What are things that maybe that we spend time on where we're kind of aimlessly zipping down the road and it's not actually getting us 
anywhere closer to where we want to go. Because what John is going to say here as we continue to work our way through 1 John here in chapter 2 is he's going to give us kind of a warning of things that we do and we spend our time and our effort on that are just aimlessly zipping down the road in the wrong direction that don't help at all. And I want us to look at just these three verses like this today. There's a clear warning that John gives us that helps us discern if that's the case. And I want us to think about that together. But then secondly, there's a reminder that he gives us that helps us uh, get the most out of what God's calling us to do in this life and the time that we have here. And so I want us just to think about it. It's pretty simple. The warning that he gives us in thinking about how do we discern, am I going after things that aren't really all that important? And then secondly, the reminder that helps us to focus on what is truly important. And so with that in mind, let's look at 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to pick up in verse 15, this warning that John gives. And so verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so that's a pretty big statement that he says there. If you love the world and you're following after this, the love of the Father is not in us. That's a pretty serious thing. If we profess and believe that God is real and that reality is defined by what he says and who he is and following after him, and he says if we're doing this, this loving the world, that we're doing the opposite, that the love of the Father is not in us. Now, when you read this, if you know the Bible, you've spent any time in the Bible or in the church, and he says, do not love the world and the things in the world, that can maybe be a perplexing statement. Because when we read the Bible, uh, a lot of times it talks about God loving the world. Probably, uh, maybe, one of the most famous, if not the most famous verse in the Bible, especially in an evangelical Christian church, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it says right there that God loves the world. And then you read John saying here, do not love the world or the things in the world, because if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. And you go, wait a second. It says God so loves the world, so how do those go together? And we need to at least just think about that before we jump in or we could get this completely wrong. Because the Bible sometimes will use the same word in different ways. It talks about the world quite a bit in the Bible. It talks about God loving the world, but it also talks about us hating the world. Or being in the world, but not of the world. And so what's going on when we think about that? And so when we start to read the Bible and think about meaning, interpretation, how we get to it, the uh, context becomes very, very important. And so if you look here at the immediate context of what John's talking about, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So he makes a distinction there in the way he's talking about it. So we could kind of summarize like this. In the Bible, there's, there's two ways that it's often used, right? That the world is good. It's God's good creation, and God loves it. John 3.16, for God so loves the world. We could go back to Genesis 1 and 2, and God creates all things, and he speaks it into existence. He makes everything that there is that is made, God makes through the power of his word, and he looked at it and he says it's very good. It is his good creation. And so we talk about the world in one sense, it's all created matter, including people. 
And it's God's good creation, and it is a good thing that we are to love just as God loves the world. But then there's also, like we have in the context here, this idea of worldly thinking or just of the world, but not seeing God as part of it. And that's what John's talking about here. There's this negative sense. When we talk about not loving the world or the things of the world, it's seeing the natural world as all there is, ignoring God in the midst of that, making the world and the things of the world as supreme, and then seeking ultimate fulfillment from that. And that's what John's talking about here. And he's saying, don't do that. And it goes with all of his argument that we've been looking at in this book. Don't walk in the darkness, but walk in the light. The fullness of joy will be found by walking in the light and seeing God in these things. So don't make the world and the things of it the way that you seek ultimate fulfillment and purpose in your life because it cannot do it. And he says, do not love the world in that way. And so the distinction we need to make sure is clear. God does love the world and he loves his creation and he's gone to great lengths to redeem his creation. But there's also a usage here of loving the world in the sense of just seeing the world as all there is and seeking ultimate fulfillment and purpose through it. And so I want us to think about what he says here. Because he says, don't love the world, but then he says some things here that help us understand what that means. He fleshes that out for us as he begins to talk. And so look at what it says in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so he starts to show us what it means not to love the world and what he says there. And he says a whole lot in that one verse. And I want us to think through what he's saying together in the negative sense. Don't love the world in this way. And so when he starts to talk about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, that word that he uses here for desire really carries with it uh, an over-desire. Maybe if you have a different translation of your Bible, maybe it says lust of the eyes or lust of the flesh. It's an over-desire. It's wanting something, uh, making it uh, more than it should be. And so he starts to talk that way, and it's, it's the emphasis here is putting too much emphasis on the created order and forgetting the creator. It's like what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Professing... To be wise, they became fools and they worshiped the creation rather than the creator. They have over-desires for the created order and forgetting God in that. And that's what John is talking about here. But I want us to think about those phrases that he uses here. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life. And so when he says desires of the flesh, when we make the material world the center of your being and we start to make the things that God has given as good gifts that are good for our flesh, our physical being. That's another one, by the way. (laughs) You get world used positively and negatively. Same thing in the Bible with flesh. Flesh sometimes just means your physical being, but sometimes it means your sinful nature. The desires of your sinful nature, our sinful nature is to ignore God in the world he created. That's what sin is. And so when he says here, desires of the flesh, that's what he's talking about. You're seeking after things that God created that are good things and making them ultimate things where you seek to get fulfillment and purpose out of them that they cannot give you. Over-desires of the flesh is what he's talking about. And so I want you just to think about the ways in which we do that. I'll give you a couple of examples. One would be uh, food and drink. 
Right? God has created us to eat and to drink. If we don't eat, if we don't take food in, if we don't take sustenance into our body, we die. It is a good gift that God gives us. Uh, he gives us the ability to smell and to taste. Uh, food is a pleasurable thing for us. Good food that we smell and taste and, and enjoy. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happens when you take food and drink and you make it an over-desire in your life? You begin to put your life around eating and drinking. It quickly can learn, uh, lead to health issues. It can lead to addiction issues. It can lead to all sorts of problems when you make the desire for food and drink that is good, that is God-given, that God has given us this to enjoy and we should uh, praise Him and thank Him. I mean, just think about God's creativity in your taste buds. That He created us in a way to be able to enjoy things that we then intake into our body, that we need to stay alive, but He made it a pleasurable thing. Or wonderful aromas that smell so good when you're eating. Those are good things. But when we make them over-desires, when we move, move from eating to live to living to eat, and we make that our whole thing, it causes all sorts of issues. Uh, we could say the same thing about rest and entertainment. Uh, God calls us to rest. In fact, he commands us to rest. He says you work for six days and then you take a break and you put your work down and you rest. He's made us this way. God gives us that. It's a good reminder. Physically, we need rest, but it's also a good spiritual reminder in the sense of that we don't have to be working for everything to hold together. It's one of the reminders of what God tells us when he tells us to rest. That I don't have to be busy and everything doesn't fall apart if I'm not working. And so God tells us to rest. Uh, entertainment. Enjoying uh, music or art, or film, or different things that God has blessed people with creativity to tell stories, to paint pictures, to make beautiful music. These are good things, good gifts of God. But when we take our life, and we make our entire life moving towards uh, this idea of rest and entertainment, it quickly can spiral to something that's negative. When that good desire becomes an over-desire, and we seek to make our life built around entertainment, it's, it's chasing after something that can never fully uh, give you what you're hoping it will. And so you watch a movie, or you binge watch a TV show, and then you watch another one and another one, and you're just sitting there. Nothing's really changing, but we're chasing after it in these ways. And so you see it with food and drink. You can see it with rest and entertainment. Uh, maybe one more example, you can see it with sex. God has given sex within his creation is a good gift. And he designed it for one man and one woman in a committed monogamous relationship forever that is marriage. And it's a good gift that he gives us. It's a good gift that leads to procreation, how we fill the earth with the glory of the Lord as people are his image bearers, and that is a good thing. God has also made it pleasurable. He's also made it as the two become one, and there's an intimacy in that that points us to God's love for us and the intimacy that can come in our relationship through what Jesus has done with God the Father. That there is this oneness. And it's an echo in that when we are taking sex the way God has made it and using it in that way that points us to that and it is a good gift. But when it becomes an over-desire, 
When it becomes something that we look for ultimate fulfillment through, it will eat us up and spit us out. It's not made to be the thing that your life centers around. And so sometimes we have over-desires in these ways. And when we do, and we forget God in that, as John is saying here, we miss the love of the Father. We miss God in that. We make it all about the thing rather than what the thing points to. And so these over-desires of the flesh cause all sorts of issues. Look at the second phrase he uses here. He says, the desires of the flesh, but then he says, the desires of the eyes. And the idea here is getting at this way that you are perceived and the way that you perceive others. It's a very serious thing in our culture today. Instead of getting your identity from your creator, who has made you in his image, getting your identity rooted and grounded in what Jesus has done for you and living out of that, we live in a culture that assigns worth based on outward appearance. We are bombarded with that from the time that we can understand what's going on in our world. We are hit with that with advertising and television and print and ads and all of it is telling us that beautiful makes you worthy. We worship it in our culture. We live in a celebrity culture where we worship people based on their appearance and their wealth and the way they see and the way that that is responded to. We make a big deal out of physical beauty. We've built uh, social media platforms around this idea of getting people to like you. To give you likes, oftentimes based on a picture that you post that they can then see. And so that is around us constantly. This idea over desire of the eyes. Seeking validation, what people think about you based on your appearance or your power or your money or whatever it may be. We do it in all sorts of different ways all the time. We make a big deal about it. And our children are being taught this over and over. That your worth is based on these types of things. And so there's nothing wrong with uh, seeing the beauty of God's creation. There's nothing wrong with those things, but when they become over-desires, and that's where we root and ground our identity, it doesn't work. And John says, be careful that that's not what you're chasing after. That you're not getting your identity from your appearance, or the car you drive, or the clothes you wear, or the house you live in are the things that we often give our lives to chasing after. That if I just had these things, everything would be so good and everybody would like me. It's the over-desire of the eyes. And we begin to go after those things in this way. And God says that's not the way we are created. Think about what John says here when he talks about the love of the world. Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When you seek to make your identity rooted and grounded by what people think of you based on appearance, you're forgetting what God says about who you are. You are loved because you are created in God's image and God loves you because he loves you. You are who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. Your identity is a beloved child of God because God has done for you what you could never do for yourself and it's not based on your appearance. It's not based on your car. It's not based on your job. 
and it's not based on the way people give you a certain number of likes on social media. All those things are lies. And they become over-desires that kind of lead our lives. The last one here, he says, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and then the last one there, he says, the pride of life. I think it has to do at least partly with this idea of comparison, of, of seeing yourself as smarter, kind of an arrogance, of look what I've figured out. At least I'm not like those people over there. Uh, I think gossip comes out of that. I think making comparisons. I think the culture that we see uh, so prevalent today, this idea of shame and attack people that you disagree with. There's this phrase, maybe you've heard it, it's kind of growing in our culture right now, they call it cancel culture. That if you say something that's wrong or regressive or bad or whatever, then we'll never listen to you again. And so people pile on. And they go, don't ever listen to that person. And what it is is self-righteousness. I'm smarter than that, and I would never do that, so let's shame this person and get rid of them. And that starts to build, and it's in our culture all around us. And it's this idea of getting your worth based on comparisons. At least I'm not like this person. It's a way to build yourself up. But I want you to think about how opposite this is of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This idea that my worth is built on how good I am. So I will compare myself to other people. And that's the way I'll, I'll foster that. See, the gospel is that Jesus has done for you what you can never do for yourself. Your worth is not based on your works. And if it was, you could never be in a perfect relationship with the Father who is perfect in every way. We've not done it. Every single one of us has fallen short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we go about our lives comparing ourselves to other people to build us up, we're living inside of a lie. Instead of loving people where they are and meeting them and loving them in the way that God loves us, we end up comparing and we do the exact opposite of what the gospel is. Because the gospel is Jesus sees us in our sin and he comes to us and yet while we're sinners he dies for us and he does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And when we operate that way we're doing the exact opposite of everything that Jesus calls us to do. So do you see when John says this pride of life, the love of the Father is not in them. And so when we're comparing and looking down we're forgetting the gospel. We're forgetting who we are. That we are people that are saved by Jesus and what he's done by no doing of our own. That it is completely by grace through faith and what Christ has done. And it leaves us at a place that we can't look down on anyone. But when we start to function that way, we forget God and the world he created. We begin to operate that way. We're loving what the world says and the way the world operates apart from God. They've removed God from it, and we get caught up in that, and then suddenly the love of the Father is not in us. Now, that to say doesn't mean that you're not a believer if you get caught up in doing those things. We are bombarded with that. We are discipled by our culture at every turn that this is the way it works, that this is what is true. And at different times, we're zipping along and we start to veer off in the wrong direction. We start getting inundated with what the world says. And we start to think about uh, the desires of the eyes. 
And I do care what people think about how I look. And I do care. And you start to think this way. And everybody else around you starts to think that way. And we start to get off. Doesn't mean that you don't know Jesus. Doesn't mean that you don't love him. It just means in those moments that we're starting to believe lies rather than the truth. Which is why we need to be discipled. That's why we need to be surrounded by others who continue to point us to know Your identity is not found in your clothes. It's in the Son of God who gave himself for you. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. And so when we forget that, it leads to these different places. Think about everything John said to this point, if you've been with us as we're walking through this book. The difference of walking in the darkness or walking in the light. When I start to get my identity based on the over-desires of the eyes, I'm now walking into the darkness. But thankfully, the gospel shines a light in the darkness, and it reminds us of what is true about us, and who we are, and the way God loves us. And so I wanted just uh, a reminder here as we think about that. Look at what he says in verse 17. Let's be alert of what's wrong and the way we do it, but then the reminder here. He says, in the world... Is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And I often think of this phrase when we think about getting off into different things that the world says. That we start to live in worldly terms versus what God says. And it's this idea of having an eternal perspective. Eternal versus temporal. I think of Jesus saying, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but do so in heaven. Don't make your life all about acquiring wealth and the, the, the over-desires of the flesh or the over-desires of the eyes. Those things are like the mist that John, uh, James talked about. It's like the mist that vanishes before dawn and you're giving all your time and effort to it. Instead, you have an eternal perspective. The things that matter. Doing the will of God. And when you do the will of God and you seek him in all things, it abides forever. And so the importance of seeing that distinction between those things. And so there's one warning, though, in that I want us to consider. Sometimes when we read a verse like this and we talk about not loving the world, uh, being in the world but not of it, we start to talk in those ways which are all biblical. But it's very nuanced in in what it says. And then we see here where it says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. So whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we make this false kind of equivalency of what that means. We say, oh, well, that means we just share the gospel only. right? We, We proclaim the gospel, which is true. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We absolutely should be doing that. We should be sharing the good news of who Jesus is. As liberally as we can, every opportunity that we are given, speak the truth of who God is. But sometimes people will say, because we're not supposed to love the world, and the world's passing away, we speak the gospel, we speak the truth, and don't worry about anything else. But the Bible is clear that we're called to work for all of it together. God loves his good creation, and he's going to redeem the whole of his creation. And so not only do we speak the gospel in everything, but we also... Give food to those in need. We don't just speak the gospel and everything, but we also seek to correct injustice as we see it unfolding in front of us. We speak the gospel and everything, but we seek to do things that help care for God's good creation. Because God is going to redeem all of his creation. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to redeem all of it. 
He's not going to just pluck our souls out of this place and then let it burn down and that's all that matters. He's going to redeem all of it. Every bit of it. One of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul talks about when the mortal becomes immortal. When we get glorified bodies. When we are made new. And he's talking about this incredible thing that God's going to do in his return. And we're going to go from this mortal, broken down, sinful flesh to the full glorification of what God created us to be in the fullness of it. And he talks about it in very real terms. We're going to have a real body. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And all things are going to be made right. And he gets to the very end and he says, so therefore, get to work. Be steadfast, immovable in the work of God, and you continue to go about your, work, your day seeking God in all things. God does love the world. We're not supposed to root and ground ourselves in the things of the world, but knowing that as we point and look towards Jesus, he's going to redeem it all. And so we get the opportunity to seek God in all things. And so when people say, and I've heard this before from Christians, yeah, the world's a mess, and it's kind of burning down, and it's falling apart, but we're going to be out of here anyway. God's going to come back, and we're going to be gone, and so it doesn't matter. There is no biblical justification for that type of talk. God calls us to be at work of proclaiming his gospel, revealing his kingdom in all things and all places everywhere. But what does it look like, and we're going to end here this morning, to abide in God's will. The one who does the will of God abides forever. What does that look like? It's not that hard. It's not hard to understand. But the idea that God tells us over and over is you make the God the center of your life and your identity in Jesus above all else. Not over desires of the eyes or over desires of the flesh or pride of life. You make that you are loved and known by the creator God of the universe at the greatest cost to himself. And you make that the center of your life every day. And you love God and you love people. And you seek to make him the center in all things. And he says those things will abide forever. And there's this wonderful thing that happens. Instead of making your identity what people think about you. You are now freed that you get to love people and you don't worry about what they think about you. The language we often use here, we begin to see God as glorious, so I don't have to fear others. God is so much greater than anything else that I don't have to worry about what people think about the way I look, or the car I drive, or the house I live in. I get freed from those things because Jesus is so much better. And we start to love God and love people in the way he's called us to do. By meeting needs and going along our way. And those things abide forever because we're placing our, our focus on that which is eternal and not which is temporal. God is going to uh, go on forever. And we are going to be made complete in him. In all the time that we spent in this life seeking to proclaim his name. To tell people about how wonderful he is. Spending our time and our effort going up, you're never going to regret that. I can say with full confidence, you're not going to come to
to whatever it is, and you lay on your deathbed and go, man, I wish I would have watched more Netflix shows. I really wish I would have seen those other series that I missed. That which abides forever is the, the loving of people, loving God and loving people, making his name great. And so when I think about that zipping down the highway in the wrong direction, is I get reflective when I go on vacation and I think about it. Suddenly there's things that it's like, I don't want to spend all my time on these things. I want to look back on my life. I don't want my children to see. I want to love people. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want people to see that. I want my children to see that. I want to not look back and go, why did I waste so much time on things that don't matter? And so my question to you, to us as a church, is how are we doing? Because the good news of the gospel is if we're zipping along going the wrong way, guess what? We have to get off and turn around. That's what repentance is. We stop the way we're going, and we stop, and we get off, and we turn. But the good news is Jesus says, I love you completely and totally right where you are right now. We don't get off and turn around so that Jesus loves us more. He already loves you completely. That's the good news of the gospel. And we get free to go, okay, where are the changes that I need to make? Where do I need to repent? And I get to rest in that God is not done with me as he does so. That's the glorious gospel that we proclaim. And so I just ask you to think through those things. What are the things that I'm giving my time and my effort to that maybe I need to make some changes? What are the things that are going to abide forever that I want to seek him in all things? So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of who you are. Thank you for the ways that you love us, that even in process, as we are continually in the process of being sanctified, that you love us all along the way that you care for us, that you meet us. I pray uh, that you would convict us in the ways that we need to be convicted. But I pray that as you do, that we would see it as your great love for us, that healthy conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit that shows us those things is precisely because you love us and that you're not finished with us and you're still at work. And so I pray that you would help us to see those things but that immediately would see how greatly you love us in Jesus and what you've done for us. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.